0: on life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. It's been a week for courtroom spats. The wives of two British soccer superstars are in the centre of a libel case in London. In 2019, Colleen Rooney, the wife of soccer star Wayne Rooney, accused Rebecca Vardy, the wife of another soccer star, Jamie Vardy, of leaking stories about her to the tabloids. Vardy denies the accusation and is currently suing Rooney for defamation in what's been called the Wagatha Christie trial. And then there's Amber Heard in court with her ex-husband Johnny Depp. They've been duking it out in another defamation suit. Now, let's be really clear, it's not for me to comment on the outcome of these judicial punch-ups. But with all of the spite and vitriol that gets thrown around when marriages and friendships break down... I'd like to talk about the power of simple kindness. The Bible emphasizes kindness. Love is kind, declares the Apostle Paul, writing to the feuding Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13. And then he writes to the church in Ephesus with a heartfelt call. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We can read about that in Ephesians 4.32, and then again to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But it's important to know that the call to kindness is not just about being nice or even having good character. You see, when we're kind, we reflect the kind heart of the Lord Jesus. A beautiful Old Testament word that captures something of the kind heart of God is hased which is usually translated loving kindness. Kindness is an often overlooked characteristic of our God who graced his old covenant people with loving kindness. And then Paul, again writing a letter to his friends in Ephesus, celebrated the God who has showered his kindness on us, Ephesians 1.8. When we're kind, we're just a little more like God. Kindness often costs nothing except time and thought, but surely it turns heads and hearts here on earth, and surely heaven watches and celebrates acts of kindness as well. Being kind. Let's talk about it. Kindness. Being a man and trying to be polite with it can be really challenging these days, On a crowded train, I'm never sure whether I should offer my seat to a lady. Will she smile and thank me or screamingly announce to the entire carriage that I'm a patronizing misogynist? The dilemmas continue. Upon opening a door for a woman the other day and saying, after you, I was treated to an icy glare rather than a nod of appreciation. I wasn't suggesting that she was incapable of turning the handle, I just thought that a good-mannered gesture might be welcome, and I was wrong, and it was awkward. But I liked people who opened doors for others. One of those people changed my life with his simple kindness. Thirty years ago or so, my family relocated to a rather isolated area of America, a place where real men drove trucks, wore baseball caps, chewed gum, and went deer-hunting, Some even wore camouflage pyjamas, ensuring that they would be suitably dressed should they ever encounter Bambi in their sleep. We felt bewildered and very alone. The culture was very foreign to us. But then a family rescued us from the stifling loneliness that we were experiencing. Separated from our own kin during seasons like Christmas, Jack and Darlene Faulkner welcomed us in as if we were their own. A particularly scary Christmas, which included waiting for the verdict of a cancer scare, was lightened by laughter around their table, and our children learned to water-ski on the wake left behind their speedboat. Years later, we're still grateful for the legacy of their friendship and kindness. And then we relocated to a city 180 miles distant, and that's where we met Milton and Barbara. They opened the doors of their home to us, literally. Needing somewhere to live while we looked for a house to rent, they gave our young family far more than a space in their home. Their gift was a place in their hearts. With grandparents thousands of miles across the ocean, they adopted our family. Milton came from the deep south, and with his white moustache and gentle drawl, he looked like a cast member of Gone With The Wind. We didn't know many people in our new homeland, and so they opened up their friendship circle to include us too. Their folks became our folks. We were family, and we still are. A few months ago, Milton discovered that he was going to see Jesus rather sooner than he'd anticipated, and inoperable cancer meant that he had very little time to live. He asked his doctor, a mutual friend, to call us with the news. We were shattered. A few minutes later, we talked with him on the phone. That warm southern tone was unwavering. We told him how much we loved him and gave him firm instructions that, however much he was anticipating heaven, we needed him to hang on until we could get to see him and Barbara. A sumptuous farewell dinner was planned, a feast to celebrate his life before his death and homecoming. And yes, we were praying for healing, but making preparations to say goodbye in case the healing wasn't to happen. Before we made that phone call, I scrambled for words to comfort and encourage Milton, words which, as it turned out, were completely unnecessary. There's no problem here, Jeff, he said. We're good. Everything is fine. I'm going to a place where time doesn't exist as we know it. That means that very soon we'll all be together again. It's just that I'm getting there ahead of you. But don't worry. I'll be waiting and I'll hold heaven's door open for you. We shared that farewell meal, which was beautiful and not just because of Barbara's marvellous cooking. We remembered days long gone. We laughed, we cried, and then Kay and I knelt before Milton and asked for his blessing. With the kindness and care that characterised him for decades, he spoke with special affection about the way that Kay had stood faithfully beside me always supportive through the years. He had special words of encouragement for her. Once again, he opened the door of unexpected kindness and recognition. I don't actually know who Heaven's doorman is. Tradition has it that St. Peter, the fisherman-turned-keyholder, is parked at the pearly gates, and I don't think he's nervous that Milton is after his job. But what I do know is this. In life, Milton has been a door-opener, and he wants to continue in the job. And rather than just admiring and celebrating my lovely friend, I'd like to follow his example and be someone who opens doors for others. Doors to joy, to opportunity, to laughter, to understanding, yes, to kindness. I'd like to be a door opener myself. Following a Jesus who calls himself the door, as well as the way, I'd like to be like Christ. I have said before you, an open door, Jesus said to one of the seven churches of Revelation. And in a way that none of us can fully grasp, Jesus opened the door to eternity with God at the cross. He who was first put himself last, and beckoning sinful humanity, he gestured with open arms and whispered, After you. My friend Milton, at last, has gone home. His suffering is ended. Pain was a constant companion as his life here drew to a close, but he faced it with faith and courage. And when I phoned him a few days before his death, effectively to say a final goodbye, he was amazed that I was making transatlantic contact. Well, bless your heart, Jeff, he said. I can't believe it. It's so good to hear your voice. The pain was so intense that he dropped the phone during the conversation. And lovely Barbara stood by his side through it all. Milton is with Jesus now, and one of these days, when the millions gather as we all see the glorious Christ face to face, I'm going to track Milton down and share that familiar hug. I wondered how I might find him, one man among the many millions. Perhaps that warm southern drawl would stand out, but then I realized I know just where I'll find you. Brother Milton, you'll be right there at the door. Some more on kindness. When Ken showed up at our church, he caused quite the stir. Some of our congregation, concerned about their safety, called upon the Lord with a whispered prayer for protection. Others, preferring more temporal security, considered calling the police. I'm serious. We don't normally treat visitors with such suspicion, But Ken was the ultimate portrait of menace. Dressed totally in black, with his arms and face covered in some pretty interesting tattoos, his studded trench coat made him look like a vampire, and some of our congregation weren't keen on giving blood. His rage was further confirmed by his tattooed knuckles. On one hand, there was a four letter word. I probably better not mention what it was, but it was rather bad. On the other, to complete the abusive greeting, was the word you. That had been Ken's lifelong message. An angry drug abuser who had spent more than half of his life in jail, he was notorious in our community, his face permanently twisted into a snarl. He only came to the service because someone dared him to attend. You're so horrible, you should try church, they'd said. Hardly a warm evangelistic strategy but apparently it worked. He showed up. Ken sat at the back, absolutely determined to be unmoved by the service, and later confessed that in his living memory, he had never, ever cried. Who knows what horrible childhood traumas had smitten his tear ducts with a lifelong drought. Then, little Marge Semple showed up. Silver-haired, elderly, and with a smile that could light up a room, Little Marge was on duty as a member of our welcome team that morning. She boldly strolled over to where Ken was sitting, his arms folded defiantly. Hello, she chirped. I'm Marge. I don't believe we've met. She rested her hand lightly on his studded shoulder. Marge was somewhat taken aback by Ken's immediate violent response. Burying his face in his hands, he suddenly exploded into loud wailing. This was no penitent whimper. He howled, heads turned nervously. Ken sobbed his way into the kingdom that day. The emotional damn bust was triggered quite simply because, for the first time in a very long time, someone had been pleased to see him. A simple gesture of welcoming kindness unlocked a man who had been imprisoned by hate for decades. Ken started to attend church, and his enthusiasm of worship initially caused a few raised eyebrows. When he raised his hands in praise, people three rows back got a rather unexpected message from those lifted knuckles. So eventually, Ken decided to have that lettering removed by laser surgery. A doctor in our church volunteered his time, and we took an offering to cover other hospitalization costs. Standing in the baptismal tank with his hands still encased in post-operation plastic bags, he thanked the congregation. His face beaming, he held up those hands. Now the outside matches the inside, he said. I'm clean. Ken's life was totally transformed and his conversion stuck. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot to change everything. Marge, Passed away last year, her sparkling eyes now just a memory, at least for the time being. But she's living proof that small acts of kindness can trigger revolution. And who knows? Perhaps when she found herself in the presence of a heavenly welcoming committee, another someone with hands wounded, not by hate, but by love, his work on the cross, that Jesus stepped forward with a smile. As we've been thinking about kindness tonight, let's all remember that we all have the power to influence our world. J.R. Miller said, There have been meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand that mysterious thing we call influence. Yet, every one of us continually exerts influence, either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound to hurt, to poison, to stain other lives. Thinking about kindness, I am challenged by the story of Gordon Maxwell, a missionary who went to India, and his Christian conduct, commitment, kindness were evident to everybody. On one occasion, he asked a Hindu man to teach him the local language. The Hindu man replied, no sir, for you will convert me to Christianity. Maxwell tried to clarify, you don't understand. All I want you to do is teach me the language. But the gentleman replied, I will not, for no one can live with you and not become a Christian. A powerful testimony, an example of kindness. Let's pass it around. See you next week. Lucas on Life.